I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. Before we jump into today's episode, we want to give you a quick content warning. We're talking about a heavy subject, human trafficking. So here we go. Human trafficking is the illegal exploitation of a person. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security defines it as a criminal act that involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. It's a different crime than human smuggling, which is when people are illegally moved across borders. Sometimes human trafficking involves human smuggling, but not always. The upsetting reality is that human trafficking is a global problem of modern-day slavery affecting millions of people from all walks of life. Tens of millions. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking globally. Victims include men, but are disproportionately women and children. This is a problem that can be fixed with the help of the right technology and dedicated folks. At Thorne, technology powers their mission. In 2016, they unveiled their flagship product, Spotlight. Using insights from Thorne's first survivor survey, they built a tool that speeds the process of identifying victims for law enforcement. With Spotlight, an average of eight kids are identified every day with a 63% reduction in critical search time. To date, over 9,000 children have been identified with Spotlight. When a child goes missing to human trafficking, every second is precious. Our colleague Randy Larson chatted with Sarah Gardner, the director of development at Thorne, to dive into how they're working to keep children safe every day. Okay, Sarah, I want to start off by having you talk about how it is that Thorne got started. So Thorne was born about five years ago. Our co-founders, Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, had learned about the issue of child sex trafficking from a documentary that was capturing what was happening to uh, little children in Cambodia who were being trafficked. And they describe it as sort of this moment where you learn something about the world that you can't unknow. And they decided that this was an issue that they were going to work on for the rest of their lives. The issue of child sex trafficking obviously has a lot of different components and looks different all across the world. So as they started learning more, they realized that it was also just as prolific of a problem here in the United States as it is overseas. And that might not be as apparent to people uh, because we hear a lot more about sex tourism overseas and people flying there to abuse children. But here in the United States, it is a problem that affects thousands of children all across the United States, U.S. nationals and children and women and boys and men who get trafficked from overseas. And it's hidden under the guise of prostitution or what people think of as kids who've run away or who have sort of gone bad. A common misconception is that they're on drugs and they've gone off to, you know, pay for their drug habit. But it really is the same set of principles of coercion by a trafficker and a sort of mental chain, if you will, that becomes established between a victim and a trafficker. Right. And as your co-founders were gaining a deeper understanding, deeper intelligence about the issue, how'd they go about zeroing in on, on the specific problem to fix? I mean, it's a very complex issue. They wanted to understand where they could have a unique impact. So they hired our current CEO, Julie Cordova, and they did something that's really unusual for a nonprofit. They said, spend a year and a half and just talk to everyone in the field and find out what's going on and find out if there is a gap 
And if there is a gap, what is it and how can we fill it? And so during that time, uh, Julie talked to law enforcement dealing with this issue. She talked to hundreds of NGOs. And the common theme that people kept bringing up was that sex trafficking had moved online and that they had ideas about how technology could be used to combat it, but they were just ideas. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we need someone to build the app to do it. Or it would be so amazing if we had all the data of XYZ victims on a platform that we could then share with first responders. And so there was this theme of technology is really facilitating the problem. And around that time, our founders were also becoming tech investors. And so very organically, they were having conversations with major companies around, are you seeing this kind of activity on your platform? What are you seeing? How are you dealing with it? And what was also evident is even though individual companies were figuring out how to deal with it, no one was talking to each other. There was no set of best practices around how to attack this issue. And so it became clear that there was a real need for someone to come in and look at the technology piece. And so they did that first by uh, surveying victims of sex trafficking in the U.S. who had come out of the life, so who had now been in recovery. And they asked them, what role did technology play in your exploitation? So did you have a phone? Did you go on sites like Facebook? Or did you text with your buyer? Or did you text with your trafficker? And some of the stats coming out of that were really scary. Like 75% of the respondents of the survey said that their ad was posted online. And also another really interesting Part of that was that traffickers would often make the kids write their own ads so that if they were caught or found, there would be no evidence that that had happened. So uncovering what role tech was playing, it became very clear that was where we needed to focus. Okay, so trafficking's moving from offline to online, meaning tech's becoming more more intertwined uh, the longer a child spends with a trafficker. It obviously presents new complexities, but at the same time, uh, some some real opportunities, right, when it comes to the sheer volume of data that's now at your disposal. The way sex trafficking has moved online is it presents itself as escort ads on the internet. So people often ask, well, how is this on the internet at all? Isn't it illegal, sex trafficking? Right. Yes, but it doesn't present that way. So the way it's presented is an escort will accompany you to wherever, to go do whatever. But it's very clear from the text in these ads that that's not what's happening. The challenge is the amount of data. A few months ago, there were on average about 150,000 ads a day posted on these escort sites nationwide. So if you imagine you're a first responder and you get up in the morning and you're trying to sift through and read through all these thousands of ads and try and determine who you think looks like a child from their picture, if there is a picture, or just sort of reading through the text and trying to glean, does that sound like a child? Your chances of if you have one operation that you get to conduct to try and intercept that child are very low. And you also can't see over time who is moving in and out of your jurisdiction that you're responsible for. And also a lot of the data is fake. There are no real names. They switch phone numbers a lot because the pimp or trafficker will give them different phones. So it's basically like trying to find a needle in a haystack. The goal of this process that law enforcement goes through is they want to intercept the victims as often as they possibly can. And I say that because part of the 
coercion that happens between a pimp and a and a victim is we talked about the Taken movie as often a point of reference that people use when we go out and talk about sex trafficking. They'll be like, oh, like that movie in Taken, you know, that right. movie Taken. And the reality is there are instances around the world where trafficking is that severe and maybe people actually are being held against their will. But oftentimes the mental chains are invisible. They feel that their pimp or trafficker is really the only person who cares about them in the world. And so the reason it's so important for law enforcement to meet up with these victims or children or young adults constantly is because they are sending the opposite message of, no, you can exit the life. There are people who can help you do this. We're here for you. Let us know when you're ready, essentially. And the idea is if prior to them having a tool to be able to find these kids faster, if they're only encountering that child once every two years, it's hard to build that trust, right? But if they can intercept that child a number of times throughout a few months, all of a sudden that offer of help or that offer of another life starts to actually look more real. And so what we did was we decided to gather all of those escort ads together for the purpose of layering intelligence over them for law enforcement so that they no longer have to sift through each individual ad, but instead they can actually ask our tool spotlight, can you show me what ads are likely to represent a immature, or that's the flag in the tool, but it's a minor victim, that there's signs of control written in the ad? And also, can you show me how this ad has traveled across my state? What other phone numbers are associated with that? So it basically gives them a bird's eye into this activity online. Sarah, you mentioned the Spotlight tool, which uses Amazon recognition as part of its underlying technology. Talk through an example of how this tool works. Absolutely. We had a case about a year and a half ago uh, where a child went missing from Oakland, California. Her family reported it to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, who's a partner of ours. And then the National Center sends out a report to law enforcement about this missing child. It turns out she had met her trafficker online, and that was where they had sort of cultivated that relationship. This man was actually previously convicted for trafficking in Orange County. The way Spotlight was involved was once law enforcement got that phone number for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they were able to put it into our tool, and a bunch of ads popped up for her already. So this had only been like 48 hours since she had gone missing, and he had already taken her down to Fresno, California, and then back up to the San Jose area. So he was immediately moving her, and we could see sort of that track. And so law enforcement had the opportunity then to try and connect with her to set up a date. And I'm putting that in quotes because it's obviously not a date, but that's the moment where they can then speak to the child. Uh, An FBI officer in the San Jose area was able to get in contact with her because he saw where her next ad was posted that day and went up and met with her and immediately removed her out of the situation. They arrested the man. The man is in prison for 45 years. Prior to Spotlight, They would have had that phone number, but there was no way to run it against that store of ads to even see where she would have been. So you're reducing the amount of trauma from potentially weeks, months, or years to a couple of days, which is obviously still not the answer. You still need the prevention side. You still need the rehabilitation side. But what we're really focused on is how can technology intervene and limit that time where someone is in an abusive situation? 
So looking at the powerful and tested ability of this technology to help law enforcement already find thousands of children, what are you looking to next? That's a great question. And it's, it's what keeps us up at night. We've had success building technology to address sex trafficking. All of that data is out in the open web, so it's easily accessible. And it's basically creating a pointer tool for law enforcement to say, focus here. Here's where you're likely to find a victim. We've also been building tools to address the dark web, which is has a whole nother set of challenges. It's also still open data. You Anyone can go get it and access it. But obviously, it's harder to find even where to go. And then there's the obvious challenge of even once you have it, you don't know where in the world it's coming from. Now, what we're even thinking about is cryptocurrency and the blockchain. There was a very famous case that's happened in the last year or so where the site Backpage.com, which was a site that hosted a lot of these escort ads, was indicted by the U.S. government for actually tampering with the content of the ads themselves. So they were purposely making people in the ads look older than they were, knowing that they were probably underage. So they were able to get them on criminal charges and that site has been taken down, which is good. However, when that site went down, it was they were already showing that crypto payments were happening for some of those ad purchases, meaning that traffickers have caught on to the fact that they're best buying those ad spaces with crypto. The idea that who we're up against is any less technically sophisticated is just false. And this is really true in sort of the other area of our work, which is fighting the spread of online child sexual abuse material. We're finding that law enforcement is saying we have to look not just five years out, but really like six or seven years out. Where do we see the traffic moving towards? So if it is live stream or crypto blockchain, how do we start to deal with that now instead of when it becomes a huge problem and we're 10 years behind again? And I would say the important part of that is not just worrying about it, but Instead, what we do is we go out and find the technologists who built it and we appeal to them and say, this is so cool that you've built this new blockchain storage company. Can we share an example with you of how this might go wrong in the instance of a child being abused? And what's really interesting is when you give technologists the opportunity to protect the thing that they built, they tend to rise to the occasion. We've had very few people say, well, that it is what it is. And I'm sorry if that gets used for that. Instead, there's a sense of they brought it into the world to do good things. So if somebody's using it for evil, that has to be stopped. And, and once we get them on our side, then we really are in a, a good spot because we need their brain to help us and our team of engineers devise a solution. And that's kind of the model of Thorn. Sarah's closing comment got us thinking. The work can't only be done by organizations like Thorn, whose entire mission centers on ending human trafficking. Large companies who build tech solutions can have a massive impact on ending this systemic, terrible problem. Like Sarah said, we need their brains to help build a solution. I recently caught up with Hannah Darton. She's the program manager of ethics, technology, and human rights at Business for Social Responsibility, BSR. Hannah leads the Tech Against Trafficking Collaborative Initiative. We are a membership-based organization that works with companies around the globe on sustainability and human rights. 
And so we get a number of different companies in a room and say, how could we best tackle this issue together? Or how can we raise understanding and awareness on these topics? So it's almost like a brain trust in that way, like you're just bringing together thought leaders from around the globe to really put their heads together and think of solutions to a problem. Exactly. For this specific topic around human trafficking, we run a couple of different initiatives. One is called the Global Business Coalition Against Trafficking, or GBCAT. And then about a year and a half ago, we were approached by, I believe it was BT and Nokia at the time, with an RFP. And they said, you know, we want to be better enabled to leverage our own in-house technical resources to help us tackle the phenomenon of human trafficking. How can we do that proactively rather than reactively? So we're working with seven companies that are on our steering committee, and that includes Amazon, AT&T, BT, or British Telecom, Microsoft, Nokia, Salesforce.org, and Vodafone. And with those companies, we got together in a room and said, you know, how can we really think through the use of technology to fight this battle? And at first we were said, you know, before actually digging deep on new innovative solutions or tech solutions, we need to better understand how technology is currently being applied in the anti-trafficking realm. And so we conducted a landscape analysis in the kind of summer into the winter of 2018 and really tried to identify the current tech solutions. And we identified 305 tech tools being deployed around the world and now are really going deep on those tech tools, seeing which ones have the best potential for scale. How can we support these tech tools in expanding on their current work and how they're operationalizing in these different settings and contexts? Whoa, 305 seems like a lot. And I imagine that there's some overlap in what these different tools are doing. Is that something that you found, that there is overlap in these tools and that you're sort of helping to streamline some of the innovation? Yes, definitely. I think that, you know, that was something that we really saw when within those 305 tools, there were almost I believe, 90 that were focused on victim or trafficker identification. So many of these technologies are actually addressing the same part of the issue, and they are unaware of other tools out there that are tackling the same thing. And they're not necessarily communicating to the full extent so they can share lessons learned, they can share ways in which they're actually seeing effective solutions being deployed on the ground, and they're not necessarily collaborating so that they can tackle it from all different angles. Within each of these tools, they're all collecting their own data sets, and if that data isn't being shared and compiled, then you can't really gather as many insights as you would had all of the data been fluid between these different tools and different organizations. Exactly. It can be really difficult to map trends when all the data isn't housed in the same spot. After we actually identified these 305 tools and looked into how we could best support the ecosystem of technology being deployed in our space, we doubled down on a handful of tools that we thought could really use some additional support overcoming technological barriers and benefit from the resources that our member companies have. So we invited the Counter-Trafficking Data Collaborative to participate in our first accelerator program. And it's an initiative of the Organization for Migration, so IOM. And it's a global human trafficking data hub that's publishing harmonized data from counter-trafficking organizations around the world. So they're helping to reduce barriers to information sharing and provide a mechanism for organizations to get data to public and policy audiences. What is the end goal of all of this? I guess our thinking is that we need to be more proactive, agile, collaborative, and intentional with technology solutions. Technology can really be 
have a multiplier effect in terms of the impact an organization can have. So our end goal is to support those organizations in realizing their own self-stated mission and goals. We want to help them be more effective and scalable at the right time to tackle the issue of human trafficking. There's currently just a number of disparate technology tools, many of which are trying to address the same problems. And without working together or building off each other's work, they're not having that impact and success that we think we could have by further collaboration and information sharing. And so rather than create new tools for every scenario, we want to help lift and shift effective technologies, learn from previous developed solutions, and advance the field through these tech players that are already in operation. And so I think that's our end goal is just, you know, advancing it with the skill sets that we have, the expertise that these technology companies bring to the table to help move everyone forward. What are some of the lessons learned from your first accelerator and how often does the group of organizations meet? We try to meet at least two times per year in person. And so we get these seven member companies along with our advisory group in the same room in London or Geneva or Vienna and really trying to make that space and time to get those face-to-face conversations and tackle the hard issues that we're trying to address. But we also meet, I think it's bi-weekly in our steering committee calls and typically monthly or quarterly with our advisory group to make sure that we're obtaining their feedback and getting their insights to inform how we move forward. So this actually warms my heart because I feel like a lot of times there's this perception that companies and organizations say that they care about things and then there's not a lot of action or follow up behind that. But the fact that you're meeting with, you know, seven of the biggest organization tech companies that I can think of on a biweekly basis is really meaningful. Like that's a substantial amount of contact. One of the reasons I love working on the Tech Against Trafficking project is that the companies that are engaged in this issue are being extremely proactive in how they're addressing the issue of human trafficking, modern slavery, and forced labor. And I think that a lot of times in the field, what we've seen is really reactive responses to human trafficking. And this is the exact opposite. It's seven companies coming together in an extremely proactive fashion to get creative and innovative with how they tackled this issue while leveraging their own in-house resources to really be able to take it to a new level. To learn more about today's guests, visit bsr.org or thorn.org. As always, thank you to our guests, Hannah Darton and Sarah Gardner. If you liked today's episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.